the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands, totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Bum, 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 bum. Welcome aboard, everyone. Hope you are ready to get back into the scriptures this evening, live here on the radio. We are going to continue our way through the books of First and Second Kings. That's where we are right now, following the exploits of Saul and David, and then now Solomon and Solomon's heir, Rehoboam, and of course the rebel Jeroboam, as he splits off ten tribes to the north. The kingdom is divided. And they begin the years of the different monarchies, the kings of the north and the south. If I remember correctly, about 22 kings of both the north and the south. Now, the northern kings go quickly because there's a lot less stability. Their reigns are not generally as long as the northern kings. And so very many of them are ungodly. So very many of them are unworthy, corrupt monarchies. This is something that we need to be watching very carefully I believe as we live in these times in the 21st century, we have to make decisions about those who will lead us as a nation, and we can learn an awful lot about godly leadership, of what it means to be a faithful, loyal remnant of God's people in a culture that is in decline or in a culture that is moving away from God. There are lots of things that we can learn from these passages, and I hope that you'll listen along with me as we walk through the reins of a number of the kings of the northern tribes and of the south of Judah. Right now, though, let's go to the wisdom and worship segment. We turn to pick up the second half of Psalm 69 on the Bible Live. Psalm 69, verses 16 through 36. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Turn and take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. Come and rescue me, free me from all my enemies. You know the insults I endure, the humiliation and disgrace. You have seen all my enemies and know what they have said. 
Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. If only one person would show me some pity, if only one would turn and comfort me. But instead, they give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine to satisfy my thirst. Let the bountiful table set before them become a snare, and let their security become a trap. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see, and their bodies grow weaker and weaker. Pour out your fury on them. Consume them with your burning anger. May their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. To those you have punished, they add insult to injury. They scoff at the pain of those you have hurt. Pile their sins up high and don't let them go free. Erase their names from the book of life. Don't let them be counted among the righteous. I am suffering and in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. Then I will praise God's name with singing, and I will honor Him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing an ox or presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help live in joy. For the Lord hears the cries of His needy ones. He does not despise His people who are oppressed. Praise Him, O heaven and earth, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Jerusalem and rebuild the towns of Judah. His people will live there and take possession of the land. The descendants of those who obey Him will inherit the land, and those who love Him will live there in safety. End of reading, Psalm 69, 16-36. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. That's the bottom line, folks, of what is required. Sometimes we make it awfully complex. We've got all of our doctrines. We've got all of our cultural and our societal and our denominational hoops that we ask people to walk through. We have our language that we ask people to adopt. I've grown up in it. I know the church world. I know. But you know what? That isn't where God looks. He looks at our hearts. And if you're out there tonight and you long for God, you desire Him. And your prayer is what that song said, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to experience God in my life. The message of the Bible is that God loves you, that he desires that personal, intimate relationship with you. It's not about religion. It's not about religious systems. These other things are important. They're secondary. They're part of this. But fundamentally, it comes down to your heart. Do you desire, do you long for God? Do you acknowledge him and desire a relationship with him? then God loves you and desires that with you. And don't worry about all the secondary things and the hoops. Come to God. Begin that relationship with Him. Trust in Him. Walk with Him. Now we're going to be moving now into the book of 1 Kings, chapters 15, verse 32 is where we're picking up tonight, talking about King Asa of Judah and King Baasha of Israel. Israel is what is called the ten northern tribes. Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and the kings are warring against one another. The kingdom is divided. People that belong together are not together. We see how God deals with them now on the Bible. 1 Kings 15.32-18.40 1 Kings 15. 
There was constant war between Asa and King Baasha of Israel. Baasha began to rule over Israel in the third year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Baasha reigned in Persia 24 years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins of idolatry that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. 1 Kings 16 This message from the Lord was delivered to King Baasha by the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani. I lifted you out of the dust to make you ruler of my people Israel. But you have followed the evil example of Jeroboam. You have aroused my anger by causing my people to sin. So now I will destroy you and your family, just as I destroyed the descendants of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Those of your family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by the vultures. The rest of the events in Baasha's reign and the extent of his power are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Baasha died, he was buried in Terza. Then his son Elah became the next king. This message from the Lord had been spoken against Baasha and his family through the prophet Jehu, son of Hanani. It was delivered because Baasha had done what was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing him to anger by his sins, just like the family of Jeroboam and also because Baasha had destroyed the family of Jeroboam. Elah, son of Baasha, began to rule over Israel from Terzah in the 26th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Israel two years. Then Zimri, who commanded half of the royal chariots, made plans to kill him. One day in Terzah, Elah was getting drunk at the home of Arza, the supervisor of the palace. Zimri walked in and struck him down and killed him. This happened in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. Then Zimri became the next king. Zimri immediately killed the entire royal family of Baasha, and he did not leave a single male child. He even destroyed distant relatives and friends. So Zimri destroyed the dynasty of Baasha as the Lord had promised through the prophet Jehu. This happened because of the sins of Baasha and his son Elah, and because of all the sins they led Israel to commit arousing the anger of the Lord the God of Israel with their idols. The rest of the events in Elah's reign and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Zimri began to rule over Israel from Terzah in the 27th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, but he reigned only seven days. When the army of Israel, which was then engaged in attacking the Philistine town of Gibethon, heard that Zimri had assassinated the king, they chose Omri, commander of the army, as their new king. So Omri led the army of Israel away from Gibbethon to attack Terza, Israel's capital. When Zimri saw that the city had been taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned it down over himself and died in the flames. For he too had done what was evil in the Lord's sight and followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins of idolatry that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. The rest of the events of Zimri's reign and his conspiracy are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. But now the people of Israel were divided into two groups. Half the people tried to make Tibni son of Ginoth their king, while the other half supported Omri. But Omri's supporters defeated the supporters of Tibni son of Ginoth. So Tibni was killed and Omri became the next king. Omri began to rule over Israel in the 31st year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned twelve years in all, six of them in Terza. 
Then Omri bought the hill now known as Samaria from its owner Shemer for 150 pounds of silver. He built a city on it and called the city Samaria in honor of Shemer. But Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. He followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins of idolatry that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. Thus he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel. The rest of the events in Omri's reign, the extent of his power, and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Omri died, he was buried in Samaria. Then his son Ahab became the next king. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to live like Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and he began to worship Baal. First he built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to arouse the anger of the Lord the God of Israel than any of the other kings of Israel before him. It was during his reign that Hiel, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid the foundations, his oldest son, Abiram, died. And when he finally completed it by setting up the gates, his youngest son, Segub, died. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Kings 17 Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives, the God whom I worship and serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years unless I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook at the place east of where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord had told him and camped beside Kirith Brook. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. There is a widow there who will feed you. I have given her my instructions. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a cup of water? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and cook that last meal, but bake me a little loaf of bread first. Afterward there will still be enough food for you and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, There will always be plenty of flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat from her supply of flour and oil for many days. For no matter how much they used, there was always enough left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. 
She then said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to punish my sins by killing my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the boy's body from her, carried him up to the upper room where he lived, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy on this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he came back to life. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, your son is alive, he said. Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and that the Lord truly speaks through you. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Kings 18 After many months passed, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Now Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once, when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden one hundred of them in two caves. He had put fifty prophets in each cave and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, We must check every spring and valley to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and fell to the ground before him. Is it really you, my lord Elijah? he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master I am here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested, what harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth from end to end to find you. And each time when he was told Elijah isn't here, King Ahab forced the king of that nation to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go and tell your master that Elijah is here? But as soon as I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. When Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yet I have been a true servant of the Lord all my life. Has no one told you, my Lord, about the time when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of them in two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go and tell your master that Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, I am as good as dead. But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet him. So it's you, is it, Israel's troublemaker? Ahab asked when he saw him. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now bring all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel, with all 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal all morning, shouting, O Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced wildly around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or he is relieving himself, or maybe he is away on a trip, or he is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no reply, no voice, no answer. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here! They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took twelve stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel and he used the stones to rebuild the Lord's altar. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, Fill four large jars with water, and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, Do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, Now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even overflowed the trench. At the customary time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the ditch. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and cried out, The Lord is God! The Lord is God! Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal! Don't let a single one escape! So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. End of reading, 1 Kings 15, 32 through 18, 40. far as we've walked through the kings of Israel and Judah following the civil war, the rebellion of the ten tribes in the north under Jeroboam. Jeroboam reigned for 21 years and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, 
reigned 17 years in Judah in the south. Now the kings of Judah did tend to reign longer. Judah was more stable. They had the temple. They had the palace of David. There was a stability about Judah in the south. There were only 22 kings from the time they were founded in 930 B.C. to 586 when they fell to the Babylonians. The same number of kings, but very much less time, was given to the ten tribes in the north. There were 22 kings as well, but they fell in 722 B.C., and so they went through four or five kings in the time that Judah was going through maybe two or three. You could see the instability with Elah serving one year. Zimri was just king for a matter of months, as was Tibni, and then Omri for 11 years. Omri was the one in the north who established Samaria as the capital city of Israel in the north. There was that his son Ahab was married to Jezebel. Jezebel was, she was a princess, the daughter of the former high priest of Baal in the Phoenician city of Tyre. He later became king of the city of Tyre. Jezebel was his daughter, and she was the one that brought the powerful influence of Baal worship to Israel. Now, Baal, it was believed he was the God who brought the rains and the bountiful harvest. So when Elijah now walks into the presence of this Baal-worshipping king and his wife and tells them that there would be no rain for several years, Ahab was shocked. He had built a strong military defense, but that military would be of no help against a drought. A drought was an extremely serious matter in these times because it struck at the very core the existence of the survival of the people. And Elijah bravely confronted the men who led his people into that evil of pagan idolatry and worship of a false god. This was indeed an amazing confrontation, very visible, very public. Now, Elijah was a very private individual. One of his problems was is that he tended to work alone. and He, at times, as a human being, felt alone and abandoned by others. God had to comfort him and bring him strength through telling him there are 7,000 others, Elijah, who have not bent the knee to Baal. Elijah thought that he was all alone. And Elijah goes to hide right back in the capital city of Jezebel, where she was raised up in Sidon, up in Phoenicia, before the great confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. An amazing story, a powerful story of faith and victory on the Bible life. The Canaanite god Baal, the idol, was often made in the shape of a bull representing strength and fertility and reflected lust for power and sexual pleasure. And although the prophets of Baal raved all afternoon, no one answered them. Their god was silent because it was not real. The gods you and I may be tempted to follow are not idols of wood or stone, but they are just as false and they are just as dangerous because they can cause us to depend on something other than the true and living God. Power, status, appearance, material possessions, all of these can become our gods if we devote our lives to them. But when we reach times of crisis and desperately call out to these gods, we too will find that there will be only silence. They can offer no true answers, no guidance, no wisdom. Only the true and living God whom we serve. See you next time. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America. And your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 
7828. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.